And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews for the 25th time. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And we have a short scripture reading this morning, followed by a very long scripture reading in a few minutes. But we've been looking at the book of Hebrews, and if you're joining us for the first time or if you've missed a number of weeks, Hebrews is a letter, it's a sermon letter written to encourage the people of God to persevere in their faith, to not abandon their faith in Jesus, to not abandon their hope in Jesus. And in chapter 11, the author starts to return to biblical history and to biblical people and events, citing how God's people have always been called to persist in their faith and in obedience. And he's gone through different characters and different episodes, different stories. And he just gives these little short summaries, for the most part, of some of these characters and their episodes. What we're doing in these weeks is assuming nothing going to assume you don't know these characters, their names, or their stories, and we're going to revisit little episodes as much as we can do in one short sermon so that we can all be on the same page of understanding, oh, that's who that is and why they are being referenced in the way that they are. So this morning, our scripture reading is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 and 21, where we're introduced to the characters, we're reintroduced to the character of Isaac, but also introduced to the character of Jacob. So give your attention, Hebrews 11, verses 20 and 21. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he had leaned on the top of his staff. Short reading, much is assumed by the author that his audience would know. Let's pray that God would teach us those things this morning. Lord, would you show us what it is that you're teaching and proclaiming? Would you grow us that we might persevere in our faith in the way that you're calling us to. Lord, we ask this, we pray it together for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope this morning's sermon is a blessing to you. Blessing. By faith, Isaac blessed his sons. And by faith, Jacob blessed his grandsons. This language of blessing, we use it all the time. You know, in the South, we say the blessing before we'll have lunch today. In some of our homes, we say the blessing, right? Um, that's how we use the language in our culture. Uh, we might also ask for a blessing in our Southern culture. Um, if you play a sport, whether you're in a private school or a public school, you probably have a, a prayer time. I know that my children go to public school and they do this at soccer games. They, they have a blessing that children would not get hurt, that things would go well. 
So we ask for blessings, we pray for blessings, we say blessings. You might pray for a blessing before a test, before an exam, before surgery, before anything, right? That's the language of blessing as we tend to use it, and those are not bad things. Those are appropriate uses of asking for blessing. But for these folk, these Old Testament Hebrews referenced in Isaac and Jacob and in their families and their clans, blessing was the context of their lives. That was the language God had used to define them. Blessing was the sum of their lives because it was the sum of their covenant relationship with God. What's more, they had a patriarchal view of the family. That is, that families were father-led. And those fathers, in a God-like way, sought to bless their seed and their children. That God would be faithful to those children, provide for those children, and see His promises through to those children. So blessing and this way of thinking, it was ingrained in everything that these people were. Now that's where in our thinking things tend to go off the rails. And I think this is an important distinction to chew on for a moment. These people, by the nature of how God had communicated to them, had established relationship with them, everything about the way they thought was covenantal. And it was corporate. Not so much for us in our American society and culture. We are very individualistic. And so sometimes we'll miss what for them were obvious understandings because we think so individualistically, whereas they thought covenantally and corporately with an understanding of patriarchy, a godly sense of patriarchy, not an abused sense of patriarchy. And those are two very different things. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 to 21, what's assumed and understood on the part of the writer were things like this. The definition of a family. The definition of a father. The definition of a son, of a child. And that God had this promise of blessing that he was going to carry on from family to family, from generation to generation. And so literally in our passage in Hebrews 11 for this morning, we have an ailing Isaac, an aged Isaac, a blind Isaac preparing for death, and he desires to bless his son. Now, this references a story that we'll read in a few minutes that is a complicated story, but you have to have that context to understand. He's preparing to die, and he wants to know that the God who had made promise to him that this is passed on to his son and to his sons. And the same is true of Jacob, referenced in verse 21. Jacob is dying, and he chooses to speak a blessing to his grandsons. And some of you who are grandparents, you understand this. Your grandchildren are your joy. 
and you see what's coming of a current generation and you want nothing of that for your children. And so that where that resonates with you, you're longing for your children and your children's children to be blessed and to walk in the way of truth and that God would be their God. That's the longing of this heart of a father and of a grandfather. And it's a very biblical thing. And by the way, that reference to Jacob, who we're going to see, was quite a scoundrel. There's this reference in Hebrews 11 that one of his last events is to lean on that staff in his old age to pronounce that blessing on his grandchildren and to worship the Lord, which is to say he finished well. The scoundrel finished well. And his last and dying hope was that the covenant Lord would be faithful to his grandchildren. So that's the context of what's going on, but only a few sentences, two sentences here about all that. So this morning, what I hope to do is to dive into a bigger picture that we might see some beautiful things. Three quick points, and the first is this. The context of all of this is the God of promise. He is a promise-making God. He is a promise-keeping God. And covenant is the overarching context for everything as we read these stories. Some, some of you maybe are like, why are we talking about covenant all the time? Well, because story after story after story in Genesis is about God making a promise and Him carrying it through. He is at work doing something and He will see it through. And that is exactly what is happening here. We saw last week as we considered Abram and his name change to Abraham and his wife Sarai and her name change to Sarah, that God was coming and visiting them in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, and He was revealing His promise. This is what I'm going to do with you. I will be a God to you. I will be with you. I will bless you. I will give you children, offspring, and through you all the nations will be blessed. And they waited for that promise, and they waited for that promise, just like some of you feel like you're waiting on God to answer your prayers and your desires. But they waited and they waited and they waited, but it was on God's timetable all the time, just as it is in your prayers and in your desires. And so God introduced Himself as a promise-making, promise-keeping God who was on His own timetable and not on ours. And now we see this blessing of a son that the promise would pass on. The desire of the father is that the Lord would carry that promise just as he said he would to his own son. This is probably for our purposes of understanding. And I'm going to read, read it in just a moment. But it's really like a fatherly benediction. You know, at the end of the service, we have a benediction where the pastor pronounces a good word of blessing that it would be true for God's people. This blessing is really like a father giving a benediction to his sons, that God would be near to them and bless them and help them to flourish. And so in Genesis 27, verses 28 to 29, we're given that fatherly benediction, that blessing, and this is what it sounds like. May God give you, speaking to His Son, heaven's dew and earth's richness. 
an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. That sounds a little weird, doesn't it? It's a little foreign to us. But intermingled in all that was God's promises that the older would serve the younger. And so this was God's way working through a man who had God's best wishes for his own sons. Now, we don't really do anything quite like this. Not in our household, we don't. I don't know about your household. Um, As I thought about it this week, the closest thing I could think of in our culture to being familiar with this or, or similar to this is an Irish blessing. And I bet some of you have it crocheted and on a bathroom wall or something like that. It sounds like this. You'll know it when I read it, some of you. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sunshine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of His hand. You know this Irish blessing? You can put it on your bathroom wall if you want to. It's poetic. It's sweet. It's sentimental. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But what God has for His people is far more than that. The kind of blessing that God wants for His people is far more than that. Rob Rayburn in his sermon on Hebrews captures that sense of blessing that that fathers want for their sons in the faith. And I'll read it to you. I don't have it on the wall. But listen to this. This is the kind of blessing that that we're in the business of longing for our children. It says, Christian parents, your children need to see your confidence in the promises of God. They need to see that you believe the Lord is present with you in trial and that you believe He cares for you in hardship. And that you believe He will provide to meet your every need according to His Word. Your children need to see that you believe that God forgives our sins and that we can forgive others. That you believe it is your calling to trust and obey. And that you believe this world and all of its treasures are passing away. But that the Word of God stands forever. You see, that's a benedictory kind of desire for your children, that they would grow in a real faith, a sincere faith. And the way for our children to get it, God's recipe for this, is for us to model it to them. For us to model what it looks like to be scared to death of what's coming, but trusting the Lord in the midst of it. Right? Modeling for our children a sincere faith, an honest faith that says, whew, We're about to live through something pretty hard. But God's will be done. We trust Him. We believe Him. We're going to abide in Him and trust that He's going to abide in us. See, that's more than a sweet, sympathetic, wishful blessing. That's saying we want God to bless us. And He says He does it when we sincerely live out our faith in the presence of our sons 
and our daughters. So, God is the God of promise. He sees through His covenant blessing. And our, ch our children need to see us live out the faith faithfully. That's something for all of us to consider. All kinds of applications for, for every one of us to make. And really, it's, it's more than just our individual families. That's all true for a church family, too. How you demonstrate for the church family, how your faith is being lived out in your own life. That you're trusting God in the midst of trial and storm. And that way, we're all one corporate, covenantal church family. Not just families, but one family. And everything that we do in our faith is modeling, either positively or negatively, for our children to view and to discern, do I even believe that it's true? By God's grace, our children will see that we really do believe in the God of promise. Number two, Isaac, the character of Isaac. We were introduced to him last week, if you recall. He is the son of Abraham and Sarah, the one whose name means laughter. And what we have that's so beautiful in Genesis is the passing of the promise. All the promise made to Abraham now passes to his son, which was the greatest hope that Abraham could have. That the God who had been near to Abraham would be near to his son, Isaac. What we're told of Isaac, several things, not a whole lot of detail, but the very first thing, this longed-for son who was so long-awaited, we're told in Genesis 21, verse 4, that Abraham faithfully circumcised Isaac on the eighth day. Which is to say that Abraham took God's promise seriously and he applied it to his son. Now that's an uncomfortable thing to do. We talked last week about how God's calling is uncomfortable. Circumcising your eight-day-old son, not an easy thing to do. But he did it and he did it by faith. Just as he would be willing to sacrifice this son, when the Lord spoke, Abraham sought to be a faithful servant. And so he obeys the Lord, does what the Lord says. Then in chapter 22 of Genesis, we have that event we considered last week where Abraham, by faith, nearly sacrificed his son Isaac, but the Lord provided a lamb to sacrifice instead to rescue Isaac. Then in chapter 24, we have the story of God providing a bride for Isaac in the person of Rebekah. This is significant because this would form a family, a family through which that promise would carry on. Because remember, the theme is all about this covenant promise and the seed line that God had protected in the ark. That seed line will carry on now. It's all through families. It's all through the womb of this family that God has poured out His grace on. Then in Genesis chapter 25, finally, after much waiting, much hoping, much longing, Isaac and Rebekah were provided sons. A pregnancy that was long in the making, but finally would come. And there would be twins, two born. To Isaac and Rebekah. And you know the story, perhaps. The twins were born. And the firstborn was a rather hairy 
reddish in color baby. And the second born, the younger one, was born grasping at the heel of the older one. And so the one who was red and hairy, they named Esau. And the twin who was younger and grasping at the heel of his older brother, they named Jacob. And that takes us to Genesis chapter 26, verses 2 to 5. Now listen to this. This is key. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, To you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. So the promise is passing on. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. This is what Abraham had hoped for, that the God of promise would see his promises through to the next generation. And sure enough, now Isaac is giving birth. It's actually, his wife is giving birth to these twins. And the Lord is seeing his promise through like only the Lord can. The promise passes on. And what I want to emphasize this morning, that it is a promise to and through. That the Lord brings his goodness to a people And there is the expectation that now through those people, God is at work to bless the many. He comes to a few and He blesses many through that. Now, two and three, two and through sounds great. It rhymes. um, But that's not why I'm using the language. The language is right there in the covenant. It's what God says is how He works. Now, how this should play out in the life of our church is something I want us to consider for a moment. But let's get there through a different means. When I worked in campus ministry for 20 years, I'm so thankful that it was pounded into my head by those who taught me that we wanted on a college campus, we wanted the campus ministry to be a ministry to and through. And and he's not here this morning. He's preaching elsewhere. But this is now Jonathan Cook's ministry. And he is trying, and the students are on spring break. I don't think any of them are here. He wants those students to understand that they are to be ministered to and ministered through. That the whole campus would be blessed as they are ministered to. That it's not just them experiencing the benefits of ministry and it's stopping there. No, 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 no. God ministers to and then through. So everybody has a job description in the ministry. All right, now, having heard that, is the same thing true for us as a local church? When God ministers to us, when He gives us His Word, when He gives us His truth, is it supposed to stop there and end there? And we keep it all to ourselves? No. We go through the double doors and God sprinkles you wherever He has you. Ministry in your home through your home. Ministry at work, through work. Ministry at the gym, through the gym. Ministry on a team, through a team. That's God's recipe, that His people are to be ministered to and ministered through 
If it's stopping with us and the benefits are stopping with us, we've lost sight of the covenant and how it works. It's a ministry to, it's a ministry through. That's how God is at work. And it's really always been that way and it always will be that way. Thirdly, the person of Jacob. To Jacob, the promise passes on. Now, Jacob is the son of Isaac. So we've gone from Abraham to his son Isaac, now to his son Jacob. The promise keeps passing on generationally to the sons. But what we find in the person of Jacob is that this promise, well, it includes and it overcomes scoundrels. Not very good people. The promise includes people like that. Now this is where we're going to sit on the story of Jacob, one of the many stories of Jacob, but you've just got to hear it. So this morning, if you don't know the story of Jacob, you need to hear it for the first time. And if you do know this story, you need to hear it with new ears because God is telling us something about the nature of His church. Who's in the church? and how they can be used even when they're scoundrels. So give your attention to Genesis 27. It's, it's a long reading. This is an amazing story that God has given us to understand both Himself and ourselves. It says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and he said to him, My son... Here I am, he answered. And Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food that I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Okay, you hear the context? He's old, he's dying, he wants to bless his son, just as we've said. Now, Rebekah, his wife, was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies." And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. And his mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. And so he went and he got them and he brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house. 
and put them on her younger son Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goatskins. And then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread that she had made. And he went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Well, come near me so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. And Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. And then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. And Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. And so he went to him and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he has taken my blessing. A long reading, an amazing story. But the imagery given to us here is of one who came out of the womb grasping at his brother's heel that they would call Jacob, lived an entire life that way. He was conniving. He was selfish. He was deceitful. And as you could tell in the story, he was his mother's son. 
This is in the family DNA, y'all. This is where we come from. And so it's easy for us to separate ourselves and say, oh yeah, he's a bad guy. Glad I'm not like that. But the point of the story is to help us understand the kind of people that God uses. He uses them. He overcomes them. And in the story of Jacob, he would wrestle with Jacob to the point of making his point with Jacob. And this is the family tree. This is who we are. This is where we come from. And God says to us, I am at work. I will include the people I will include, and I will overcome every one of them, however deceitful and crooked and selfish they are. In short, Jacob teaches us that God draws a straight line with a crooked stick. He can draw a straight line with a crooked stick, and he did it over and over and over again. And while you and I maybe would choose to discard Jacob, unfriend him on Facebook, not invite him to our birthday party, God says no. He's front and center in the story of the seed line that would bring us Jesus. Because these are the kinds of people that need saving. You know, the story of redemption is such a beautiful story in the Bible. And the more you see it, the more beautiful that it is. But the reason that it's beautiful is because it's filled with such ugly people. That's what makes redemption beautiful. So can you identify with Jacob the scoundrel? You have to. If you have a proper view of yourself, you realize that God can use anybody. And he uses sinners in the story of redemption that would lead to the coming of his son and the one who would save all of us from our sins. It's God's plan. It's God's timing. And his plan, his ways are never our ways. And his timing is never on our timing. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 tells us, With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. That's why when we want something and we don't understand, why is He not answering my prayer now? It's because we're on His timetable. And we always have been. And that's a good thing. It's just a hard thing. So this is the story of God's promises as they unfold. And Jacob is a scoundrel for sure. The truth is, church history is filled with the story of scoundrels. You can fill in the blank. You go pursue any hero of the faith and you'll find ugly things, right? You will find ugly things. Church history is filled with stories of heroes, but every one of them is flawed characters. Every one of them have blind spots, mixed motives, inconsistencies, moments and seasons of moral missteps, angry outbursts, Areas of neglect, sinful pride, and regrettable actions and words. Every one of our heroes in the faith and in church history is a flawed character. But the story of our redemption is a beautiful story because it includes such flawed people as us. 
Some of you track this week with the conclusion to the Alec Murdaugh mystery. I admit I tracked with it. I was fascinated by it. I even was found in the grocery store this week by one of you. I don't know if she's here today. I had my big headphones on, my noise-canceling headphones, listening to closing arguments. Then I bumped into a church member, and I was like, well, here's what I'm doing. Some of you heard the judge and his words to the one sentenced and how in such calm manner he spoke such powerful words. It was really pretty amazing to see that and to, to realize the authority with which the judge had to speak. You would almost think that the words I'm about to read were some of those words from Judge Newman to the one found guilty of murdering his wife and his son. Listen to these words. You are worse than you know. You are full of inward evils. You are totally depraved. You are a monster. Doesn't that sound like if, if you heard the speech that he gave? It sounds about like what he said, doesn't it? Well, that's not from Judge Newman. You know who that is? That's John Newton in a letter written to a young pastor trying to help the pastor see you are a monster, he said. Your sin really is that bad. You are a monster. Now, the rest of the letter goes on to say... But until you believe the gospel is powerful enough to save a monster like you, you have nothing to preach and to tell people. Okay? It's a beautiful message. It's a letter to a young minister. And so as we consider Jacob and his part as a scoundrel in the story of redemption, I would look to you and trust that you would look at me and say, you're a monster. You too are a scoundrel. But this table, body and blood of the Lord Jesus, it has power to save. That's what it was all about. Reconciling scoundrels, not good people, scoundrels, spiritual scoundrels, conniving, selfish, deceitful, lying people, reconciling them to the family table of God for a meal. Can you hear that good news this morning? Can that resonate with you? That Jacob models for us the good news of the gospel. God includes him. God overcomes him. And I'll close with this. Later in Genesis chapter 32, another long story, but it's Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. Mysterious passage, can't really explain it, don't understand a whole lot about it. But what's fascinating to me is after they wrestled all night, Jacob's name is changed by the Lord. Remember, the Lord is in the business of changing people's names, their purpose, their identity in the world. And he changes Jacob's name. Remember what he changes it to? Israel. Israel. Which a loose translation of that means that God prevails. You wrestle with God, but God prevails. And Israel, as you know, would be the nation and the peoples that God had a covenant relationship with. 
And isn't it apt, isn't it fitting that the one God would name Israel in a person captures so much of what Israel, the church, really is? Scoundrels who fight with God. Scoundrels who are at odds with God. We fight with God, but our covenant Lord fights for us. And that's the nature and the picture of the church. We're fighting with God, and He's fighting for us. He's fighting for us, and He will prevail. The Lord will prevail. This morning we're going to close with a hymn to remind us that we are ruined sinners that He has reclaimed. And then we're going to come to the table as reclaimed people whose faith is in Jesus. And I want you as we sing, make it your own time to resonate with what we've heard from Scripture this morning. That God prevails over scoundrels like us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the beauty of Your Word, for the story of redemption, that it always surprises us how big Your grace is and how You overcome people like us. So Lord, would You give us that sense of honest admission and confession of who we are? And would You give us the joy of knowing that You have overcome, You have prevailed over the sins of Your people? Do this, Lord. We ask it. We pray it. In Jesus' name, amen.